Welcome to the podcast from First Baptist Church of Madison, North Carolina. This is Dr. Chuck McGathy, and uh, if the atmospherics sound a little bit different today than typical, it is uh, because I am recording my podcast from my newly uh, opened home office, uh, which is a study in my home, uh, where I hope to be doing more of these just for the atmospherics. But uh, anyway, it sounds a little different. That's why. Thank you for joining with us. Uh, I hope that you are having a good experience this week, realizing that there is a God that loves you and uh, cares for you, not only you, but those that you love. In a world that is uh, very, very confused about God, in a church that so often presents God in a negative way, I hope you will find positiveness and an understanding that there is a way, a truth, and a life that is offered by Jesus that is unique and can be found. So hang on there. Keep on believing. Today's message is for the 10th Sunday after Pentecost, which will be preached on the 6th of August and uh, also happens to be uh, the anniversary of my ordination and time coming to First Baptist Church of Madison, so I have to calculate all those years up. But uh, 17 years ago, I came to Madison. I think it's over something over 40 that I've been ordained, but the time goes by rather swiftly. Today's message is based on Genesis 32, 22 through 31, and uh, the title, of course, is for the 10th Sunday after Pentecost is What is Your Name? I'd like to begin, though, by reading to you the passage that is from the lectionary from the book of Romans by Paul, and I think he's making reference to this event that I'm going to share with you in a moment. It's from Romans 9, verses 1 through 5. Paul writes, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it by the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my own people, my kindred according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from them according to the flesh comes the Messiah, who is overall God-blessed forever. Today, I want us to think about names. Names help us know who we are. The early Christians were given that name Christian because they believed and claimed to follow a Jewish rabbi who they were convinced was the Messiah, or in the Greek language, Christos. Their convictions and way of life had been changed and molded by the teachings of this man. In the very first years before they were known as Christians, they were identified by the phrase, followers of the way of Jesus, or simply, the way. I noted with some interest last week that at least one megachurch pastor 
is warning his people not to heed or listen to those who claim to be following in the way of Jesus. In his eyes, those who claim to be Christ followers are liberal heretics who have lost their faith. His form of Christianity, I'm afraid, doesn't look much like Christ. It advocates power over peace and even supports ideas and practices that are opposite of the Jesus portrayed in the gospel. That preacher is part of a growing number who are redefining Christianity to dismiss following Christ's example. Our faith, our Christ-following Christian faith, must be clear about our name. Presbyterian pastor Tim Keller, who died this past June, has described what the name of the church really means. Hear what he said about the basis of our fellowship. Ask yourself, does this describe our church? Does this describe me? Tim Keller said, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection were an infinitely costly rescue operation to restore justice to the oppressed and marginalized, physical wholeness to the diseased and dying, community to the isolated and lonely, and spiritual joy and connection to those alienated from God. To be a Christian today is to become part of that same operation with the expectation of suffering and hardship and the joyful assurance of eventual success. The name for that community that follows Christ is the church. Don't be confused by imitations. The church of Jesus follows Jesus. It is our name, Christ in Christian. I'm going to tell you something that you probably already know. It is a lesson that is learned often through experience, but may also be observed through the experiences of others. One of the great attractions of the book of Genesis, at least for me, is this. Genesis is a very human story. When I say this, I am not trying to insinuate that Genesis lacks the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In fact, just the opposite. What we have from the account of the creation all the way to the great reconciliation of brothers in Egypt is a depiction of how God perseveres, molds, and creates a human family that can carry his message of hope and love to the entire world. When that is kept in mind and we sense the purpose of God, as did the biblical compilers who included this account in their sacred literature, we will understand the developing nature of God's relationship, not only with the Jews, but with all humanity. It is not just their story, it is our story, the story of all humankind. The book of Genesis does not present a fully developed, perfect humanity. Far from it. In fact, if read honestly and intelligently, we will quickly recognize that their struggles in understanding God, the nature of human relationships, justice and mercy, are realistic, sometimes flawed, and always, always developing toward something 
The revelation of God progresses through the pages of Scripture, and we not only need to pay attention to what is happening, but which way it is going. The concept of struggling to understand what is to be fully human and who God is in relationship to our humanity is a constant theme throughout the Bible. Struggle, however, stands out in some dramatic ways in the Genesis account. No one, it seems, will struggle more than Jacob. In fact, even a casual reading of his life bears witness to how he continually was in tension with other people and certainly with God himself. Our text today might possibly seem remote to the experience that you and I have, remote that is until we think about it for a moment and recognize the times that we have wrestled over some deep direction in our life and came out on the other side with a new purpose and better understanding of God's grace. Our text is taken from Genesis 32, and I will read just our focal verse today. During the night, Jacob rose and crossed the Jacob River at the crossing, taking with him his two wives, his two slave girls, his 11 sons. He sent his family everything he had across the river. So Jacob was alone, and a man came and wrestled with him until sun came up. When the man saw he could not defeat Jacob, he struck Jacob's hip and put it out of joint. Then he said to Jacob, let me go. The sun is coming up. But Jacob said, I will let you go if you'll bless me. The man said to him, what is your name? And he answered, Jacob. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob. Your name will now be Israel because you have wrestled with God and with people and you have won. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But the man said, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed Jacob there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, saying, I have seen God's face, God face to face, but my life was saved. And the sun rose as he was leaving that place, and Jacob was limping because of his leg. After years of estrangement from his brother Esau, Jacob is finally returning home to a confrontation he has long dreaded. The story actually begins with a relationship of twin boys named Jacob and Esau. Their mother, Rebecca, has been credited with divine insight as she relays a message from God. Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples will be separated from your body. The one people will be stronger than the other people. The elder will serve the younger. It was Esau who was born first, and then Jacob came out and his with his hand holding Esau's heel. What to us would seem to be merely an interesting birth story to the ancient nomadic people bore tremendous significance. The name Jacob means he takes the heel or he supplants, and it is a hint of the rivalry Jacob would engender. Esau grew up to be a hunter, but Jacob is a quiet man, a thinker, and I think it not unfair to say a bit of a schemer as well. This is also a story of parental preference and favoritism. The father, Isaac, prefers his son Esau, while Rebekah will plainly favor Jacob. Esau enjoyed the privileges of the firstborn. According 
to the laws and traditions of that culture and that age. He was the recipient of the birthright and the blessing from his father. There was no equality in it. The elder received from the father the right to rule the family, and along with that came the economic power that was necessary. It would appear from the story, though, that Esau did not regard his birthright with the same gravity as his brother Jacob. When returning from the hunt one day, Jacob proposed a bargain, a swap, a bowl of lentil soup for Esau's birthright. It was a silly trade. Perhaps Esau considered it a joke. Really trade his entire future for a bowl of soup, yet for whatever reason Esau agrees to the deal. But in order to assure his scheme would be fulfilled, Jacob colludes with Rebekah to deceive his father and thereby receive the blessing that would otherwise go to his brother. It was the blessing from the father that sealed the deal. It is a fascinating story of family dysfunction that will lead to resentment and estrangement. When Esau discovered this treachery, he was crushed and he determined to kill Jacob, and if he had no jury, would have convicted him. Rebekah warned Jacob of Esau's plan, and thus he fled in time to save his life. Then Jacob experienced his first nighttime encounter with God, the famous Jacob's Ladder story, when Jacob saw angels descending and ascending on a ladder reaching to heaven. That encounter, God made Jacob the one through whom God's promise to Abraham would be fulfilled. To him, God said, I am Yahweh, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land whereupon you lie to you, I will give it into your seed. Your seed will be as the dust of the earth, and you will spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. In you and in your seed will all families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you again into this land. For I will not leave you until I have done that which I have spoken to you. In that first nighttime encounter with God, Jacob was fleeing Esau's anger. In his second nighttime encounter with God, our text for today, Jacob is seeking reconciliation with Esau, but he fears for his own life as well as his family. He is afraid that Esau might still want to kill them all because of Jacob's earlier treachery. Jacob is anxious. Jacob is wary. Jacob has regret. Jacob bears guilt. Jacob feels isolated. Jacob is all alone. In fact, the only one who seems to still be with him, the only one who still seems to believe in him and understand him and love him is God. Everywhere Jacob had gone in his life, he has had to leave. The reason he had to depart from both his original home and his second home with Laban was due to his manipulation and treachery. While there had been a happy ending in his departure from his father-in-law Laban, there was still the matter of his original family and his brother Esau. That was far more serious matter, and a reconciliation with his brother would be far more difficult to accomplish. As he comes near his brother's camp, Jacob sent messengers ahead to Esau in an attempt to reconcile. They returned with the news that Esau was coming and with 400 men to meet him. Jacob feared that Esau was coming to wreak revenge and seek messengers ahead with a generous gift of livestock in an attempt to appease his brother. He also prayed to God, please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him lest he come and strike me, the mother's with their children. At this point, 
we're ready to consider our text for today. But before I do, I want to remind us of several things that we've already learned about Jacob. First, Jacob came from a troubled family, and he was himself troubled. Second, his actions had resulted in further estrangements. Third, and in spite of all of this, Jacob deeply wanted to reconcile. Finally, and most importantly, God was with him despite all of his struggles. Things are not always what they seem to be on the surface. The continuation of Jacob's story begins rather simply. Jacob has taken his family and is moving back home. He knows he must encounter his brother, and he is worried about what will happen at the Jabbok River, a natural boundary. He sends his family across and remains behind, alone. Then the understanding of this passage becomes more challenging. Why does Jacob remain behind? We are not told. There is no clear answer, but we can guess. Some say this was the coward in Jacob coming out. His family was a buffer between him and Esau. Another idea, I think, explains it better. Jacob was insecure. He wasn't confident that he should or could go home. Can anyone here relate to how Jacob felt? Has anyone here ever avoided someone, perhaps even a relative, because you were not sure how welcome you would be? I love that line I learned long ago from a James Taylor song that goes, Home is where they want you now. You can more or less assume that you'll be welcomed in the end. I know it isn't just reunions with families. Our reunion with God and his family called the churches like that too. There are folks you know right now who want to come home, who long to come home. But like Jacob, they are not sure how they will be received. And so they hold back on the other side of the river. Who exactly was Jacob wrestling? There are two ideas here and one big problem. Some have decided that Jacob was wrestling an angel, while others believe that his struggle was with God himself. The significance is almost unchanged. It is ultimately a match with God. So why does God wrestle with Jacob? This is hard to understand unless you know Jacob and his story. In fact, this story, a story of wrestling with God, might seem impossibly difficult to understand unless, unless... You yourself have wrestled with God. I can tell you from personal experience that I have been in a couple of wrestling matches in my day. Sometimes I feel like I'm in a long-term wrestling match. It is not sacrilegious. It is not evidence of disrespect. It is evidence of engagement. When one wrestles with God, it is impossible to say that God is not right there with us. As Jacob's encounter with God reaches its conclusion, it is unclear who won. But winning, it seems, was never the point of the match. Something was accomplished. God caused Jacob to wrestle with his own self-image, to see and view himself in a new way. Like a dad teaching his son to wrestle, the point isn't to defeat the boy, but to help him find the strength he needs to be a man. Before it's over, God gives Jacob a way of remembering. God gives him a limp. In Hebrew, it seems to indicate that this is a sprain or a temporary injury. It is just enough to remind him of his encounter with God so he will be confident in his encounter with his brother 
Esau. What's in a name? The naming of people has great significance in all cultures and especially throughout the scriptures. As I've already said, Jacob meant to seize the heel or to overreach or supplant. When Esau discovered that Jacob cheated him out of his birthright, he said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? For he supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. See how he has taken away my blessing. But something interesting has happened as a result of Jacob's wrestling match with God. The divine message somehow gets through. Jacob gets a new name. Your name will no longer be Jacob. Your name will now be Israel because you have wrestled with God and with people and you have won. God gives Jacob a new name. A name change of this sort indicates the beginning of a new chapter in his life, a new way of living, a new identity, a new purpose. The name Israel in Hebrew, Yisrael, is well known, but do you know what that word means? In the Hebrew language, the word El always refers to God, but what precedes it, Yisra, means fighter. I found this in one Jewish source I consulted. According to the etymology based on the biblical story, Yisra is a verb that describes Jacob's relationship with the deity El. The word Israel actually means one who fights with God. That strikes me as important. You see, we are not so different from Jacob. Our lives are a struggle. Sometimes we struggle against others. Sometimes we struggle against ourselves. Quite often we struggle against God. Perhaps that is why I've been so impressed through the years with one simple verse from Psalm 46. Cease your struggle and know that I am God. Easy to say, easy to remember, hard to practice. Like Jacob, we too need restoration and forgiveness, love and peace. And like Jacob, we can find countless ways to sabotage the very thing we so greatly desire. But Jacob's experience also reminds us that God does not Quit on us. He is ready to wrestle with you and me. He wants to give everyone a brand new start, a fresh encounter with life made possible by a reborn spirit. Jesus came for just that reason, to give you a brand new life. Now let me ask you a personal question. Do you have a new identity in Christ? Do you know who you are? Have you come face to face with God? No matter how you may answer that, I want you to know a couple of things. It is okay to wrestle with God. He is prepared for your questions and your struggles, your anger and your cynicism. You may bring all your questions before him. He's ready to meet you right where you are. The second thing I want you to know is that God is is on your side. He's not fighting against you. He's fighting for you. He wants you to come away from the wrestling match a brand new person. Whatever you're facing today, whatever struggles and challenges lie before you, know that God is with you. 
God is with you in the lonely night when you have no answers. He will provide you the new name that you desire, the name that will give you a brand new start. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, struggle with us as we try to find our way through life's many difficulties. Teach us our true identity and affirm the promise that your blessing is as big as our dreams and bigger. Be with us as we move forward, confident of your love, your forgiveness, your grace made possible through our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.